as you feel comfortable, okay? I'd like to share with you a word um, to introduce the message. And the word is something that I felt the Lord impressing upon my heart. And it can be found in Genesis chapter 1. I have a, sp a specific word for whoever's here that this may actually speak to. But, um, and here it goes. In verse, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 21, I'm reading from the ESV. The Lord visited Sarah as, she, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight, year, eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So this, it's interesting that Isaac really means laughter. Yeah, makes laughter. And it's funny how what God wants to do is so miraculous, it's laughable. Yeah. Now the whole thing, I, I, idea about humor is the fact that of incongruity, right? Incongruity. What makes a thing funny, what makes a joke funny is incongruity. Incongruity has to do with the fact that it is so not that, not, so not expected. Two things that are completely not congruent are put together. And the incongruity has to do with the fact that there is an incongruity between what can be expected, what can be predicted, and what is possible, and what is actually happening. And what Sarah was saying is this, that the arrival of Isaac is so not in keeping with the expectations. It's so opposite to the logic of the flow against the flow, the, 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 the flow of play, so to, so to speak, um, that it's laughable, you know? It's not laughable because it's actually a joke. It's laughable because of the fact of it's, it's being so impossible that's happening. Now, here's what I think. I believe that God's been speaking. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And I feel that what God wants to speak to some of us, not necessarily those who feel that they're old, but to those of us who feel that it's past time, that it's after it's past time that God is actually going to be moving things that could not have happened it was, if it was in time. So what I'm saying is this. There are some of us who are here. Some of you feel that it's, I'm past my age. It's past the time. I've passed, it's past the opportunity. It's past the time for natural things to happen. And God is saying, He's going to bring something miraculous, laughable perhaps, past the time. You may be young or you may be old, doesn't matter. It's past time. And you're feeling that you're too late or you're too slow. And you think that all the possibilities, the, the, the opportune times have 
actually pass by. But there is a space of, in time that Genesis 21 is talking about. It is after the math, right? After things have happened and had not happened. And so here it says here, um, and Sarah conceived us too and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, uh, bore him Isaac. Ah, amazing, isn't it? Verse 7, And who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. By the way, in her old age as well. She did not just bear Abraham a son, she bore herself a son as well, by the way. It was not just Abraham's son, it's her son as well. She had, a, she had, a, she had just as much of a, of, a, of a stake in this. But I just felt that there are some of us who are thinking, it's too late, I'm too weary, I don't have energy, I don't have the resources, I don't have it. Time has passed, it's, it's past my time. And the Lord is saying, no, it's not past your time, it is time. It is time. And I want to share with you why it is time and how it can be time for you. It is almost as if what God, had, what God wants to do can only happen when certain things have been pushed aside, have been put aside. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, we see how, what was happening, happening what, the dyna, what dynamic was actually happening, okay? By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive. So it's not just a matter of the fact that it was past time. There was a power dynamic that was actually happening. I don't mean a political power dynamic. I mean by a power, a real power, real Holy Spirit power. By faith, Sarah herself received power. Wow! Or other other um, translations would receive strength. It's a real solid thing there to conceive, even when she was past the edge, since she considered, considered him faithful who had promised. She was past the edge, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, for one man, from one man, and him as good as dead, <clears throat> were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. It is almost as if when God said uh, in, in, in chapter 21, or Abraham, uh, Sarah said, it is the time, it's almost as if the time happens only after a death has taken place. A death of hope, a death of opportunity, a death, a death of time, a death of uh, uh, strength, death of plausibility has happened. And I want to say that, that a lot of things that God does happens in that space of time. And so if there's anyone who's feeling it's too late, I've been in this church too long, or I've been you know, on the same path too long, I've missed my opportunity. I used to have a, a, the, the, the iron was hot, I didn't strike. And because of that, it's too late. And I'm just trying to just get as, as much as I can right now. And I'm just kind of, kind of closing down soon. I want to put it to you that God is saying, no, this is, not, this is not what the reality is. This is the time. There's an opportune moment and there are things that God's going to be doing because of the fact that it's past time. 
And one of the thing, funny things that actually happened is this. In order for eternal things to actually happen, there needs to be almost a dismantling of the old. There needs to be a dismantling of the old because the kingdom of God, the things of divine things, cannot happen according to the natural order of things that we have, according to the natural way we are. We may have a lot of good gifts. We may have a lot of good abilities and of good opportunities. But divine things, things that are of God, from heaven, actually cannot be constructed out of these things. Actually, the Bible says this by, by the word of the Lord, uh, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Have you seen that verse before? That things that are seen do, are not made by things that appear. I'll read it again. By the word of the Lord, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It is almost as if when all the things that do appear that we can believe, put our hopes in and, and, and rely on, are completely gone and there's absolutely zero, nothing there, you stand in that place in which it feels like you want to give up. In fact, actually in the chapter before, chapter 21 of Genesis, Abraham did something that was really stupid, dumb, and looked like he was actually giving up. But actually what happened was that in that space, what was happening was that all the things that do appear were disappearing. Were disappearing. All the friends, all the support, all the, the cash in hand, all the, the resources that we had were gone. It is almost as if there are kingdom, holy, kingdom of God, heaven rules. There are Holy Spirit rules. And one of these rules have to do with the fact that things that appear are made not of things that appear, but of things that are of the Word of God. If you don't understand that, you will actually be sliding. Life begins only after death. Go figure. Go figure. It's only, I mean, don't you think Abraham and, I, and, 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 uh, and Sarah could have had a child when he was a sprightly 35 years old? There are some of us who actually feel you're in your 20s, but some opportunity has been missed. Some wrong turn has been taken and you feel that it's too late. I want to say to you that the word that the Lord wants to speak to you today from Genesis 21 is, it is only after the end that God actually is able to do things. Amen? Sometimes profound things, eternal things, deep things, things that are not of this world can only happen when there is a stripping, a stripping of all our own, the very structure of our own can-do-ness. Yeah? Yeah? The stripping of all our own things that we feel are, appear, you know, they can be seen and that can, that can make us be able to enter into something really good. And it's true that on one plane, 
It's our resources, our gifts, our money, our influence, our talent, our, our skill, our savvy, our nuancedness, and all that, that can make things happen. Yeah, it's true. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that, actually, if you work hard, you do well. I'm not, not denying that if you are smart, you do well. If you are highly connect, well-connected, things will happen for you. I'm not denying the fact, fact that there are things that are, there are factors in the world that make for good things, yeah, or opportune things, or things that are to your advantage. I'm not denying that. But we are now talking not about those things. We're talking about things that God does. The, the things that are constructed and created by God. And these things are made of things that do not appear. And for that to happen, there is a thing that takes place that I'm sure has its analogy in nature. Let me tell you about one guy that I knew. He was a Malaysian who had got a scholarship to study music in, in Boston. Himself was a great musician. He was the top jazz musician that you could ever see, that we have ever found in Malaysia. And he was so big in Malaysia that at, at, in one competition, he won a scholarship to go to Berkeley, Boston, right? Not Berkeley with a Y, but Berkeley with a two, with two E's, Berkeley, yeah? He went there, and when he started school, there was one particular professor, one particular famous old music musician who just gave him a hard time, completely wiped his face on the floor. Day after day, he just kind of destroyed him, just destroyed him until he had come to a point where he wanted to go back to Malaysia where he was at least recognized and he didn't feel that he was useless. And then it got worse. It got worse. He, would make, he was made fun of in front of everybody. He was shredded to smithereens until he had come to a point that Berkeley was becoming a, a psychological hazard to him because he had no more confidence even to play the things that are easy to play. Have you ever been destroyed psychologically by anybody? Right? Now, often our only dynamic for empowering people is to encourage them. Correct? We only know how to do that. That's good. Actually, I like that. I like to be encouraged. Don't you? But that's only one dynamic. This friend of mine experienced the opposite dy dynamic, where this guy was so on his tail that he just felt depressed. He just went into depression. But there was one thing that caused him to not give up, and that is that he was quite sure that God had brought him to that school. And so, it, have you been in situations, you feel God has led you into one thing, and then it just doesn't work out. And you have two choices. You have to either think, it's not work out, I heard wrongly, or, you know, somehow God must do something. And he decided he's going to just sit and just turn out. It came to a point where he could only turn up, just he could turn up, and he would, he would be jammed. You know, he just couldn't play, just couldn't play. He would just turn up, though. He would turn and get completely uh, um, 
<laughs> destroyed. But he kept going. And at some point, it's a mystery how it happened. Things turned around. And out of the blue, out of nothing, a little bit of playing began to happen. But because the structure of his pride, his ego, and his, his, everything that he'd learned had been dismantled, he was free from it. He was so free from it that he was not held by the good things that he's learned, that he was just completely zero. And things turned around. Before long, he began to be better and better and better. But the whole way and the freedom, the structure on which he was playing, the way in which he was picturing notes, picturing harmonies and things like that, had all, had all, all been changed. And he was actually functioning by a completely different dynamic that was not limited anymore. But he was actually free. But it, this freedom was not an empty freedom. You know, sometimes I find in America, people talk about freedom. What they mean is just an empty freedom, just like lack of, lack of, lack of structure, lack of discipline. I don't mean that kind of freedom. I mean a freedom that is not bound up by preset and limited structures of ways of thought. There was something in which something had exploded, something had broken. And before long, very quickly, he was able to build up his music and he became the favorite of this person. You know, my daughter is going on rotations and in her rotations, she experiences this, this that thing, that breaking but for very, very important things, for deep, deep, deep things now. I don't mean like little superficial things. I mean things that have deep value, deep divine value. The way in which we enter into a new realm is by actually this death of the old. And you have to let that process happen upon you. And some of us have a different clock. Some of us have different schedules. And in this different schedule... We feel that if you, you have your meteoric rise when you're really young, it's really great. Who says? Who says younger is better? Who says that if you succeed earlier, that is better? Actually, there are certain, there are certain things that Winton Masala says. When you're young, I said, I see lots of people, young people, just give me CDs. Oh, this is some really original stuff. He says, I play it, and when I play it, it's the same old stuff. I said, and then and, and he says, these people at 20, 30, they can't come up with things really original. It's original to them only because they haven't seen other stuff. It takes suffering, he says. That's why I like Mahler. Mahler, you know, it's, a, it's not a jazz musician. was not a jazz musician. I like Mahler because you can feel the pathos. You can feel the suffering that he had gone through. And only the suffering causes that kind of other thing that's other than whatever is the same thing as everything else. Yeah? There are certain things that God has prepared you for now. At the age of at the age in after the experience of things not going well before, 
that God has brought you to, perhaps. And it may be that now is the time that God wants you to do, to, to, to do something that you could not even have imagined, but which, which would have needed the complete dismantling of the structure of your own selfhood in order to be able to do that. So that things that appear, things that are, that are made, are, are created by things that do not appear. Amen? I want to put it to you that actually this is something that God is, is actually doing in our lives. And I just wanted to, to, to share that with you because of the fact that where we are going has to do with something very much more powerful than what we could have imagined. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24 and we'll just continue our Easter story, okay? If you are ready, turn to Luke chapter 24. The disciples experienced something similar as well because everything that went into the Jesus movement, the Jesus, yeah, the Jesus movement becoming a success had been done and now it was an utter failure because Jesus, the center of that movement had been completely destroyed. It's so they thought. He had been crucified. And when all hopes were lost, something really surprised them. Just as in God's pattern, is, it, it, it's always the case, He resurrected from the dead. He rose from the dead. It's an interesting thing that after He rose from the dead, after Easter, He appeared to His disciples, Luke chapter 24, and this is where we get our theme for Easter. And he speaks to them. And he says, um, verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and on the third day rise from the dead. Can you, can you imagine this? He opens up the same scriptures. These are Old Testament scriptures, okay? There's Old Testament scriptures. Don't you think he would have shared these scriptures with them before? Yeah? I'm sure he would. He would have heard those scriptures. But he opens these script, their minds to understand the scriptures. What happened in their minds? What did they see that they couldn't see? Somehow after the crucifixion and the resurrection, when everything came to an end, he opens his mi their minds. Sometimes, perhaps their minds were now more open than ever before. The preset ideas, the structure of their thinking had, had, been, had been dismantled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The difference is, I believe, they understood it this time. What brought that understanding? What brought that understanding? I will put it to you. It was the crucifixion. It was the death. And that repentance for our forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now here the word witnesses really means the producers of the proof, right? The, mart the martyr. You die for the truth, you know. You prove that the truth is true by your very life. You are the ones who are going to authenticate the truth. That's wholly different. This is not just Bible study. It is not just Bible study. 
This is actually proof of the truth. It is the substance of the truth. It's not just studying the Bible and getting all, you know, nerding out. This is actually understanding of the, 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 the power of it. Okay? And you are witnesses of these things. You have to know these things to such an extent that you can reproduce those things. Morris Cirillo has this tape that I used to listen to in the 70s. It's a tape. You know, if anybody doesn't know what a tape is, uh, you, you know, you um, find it out you, if you can find it. It's called The Proof Producers. His premise is this. If it is true that we are witnesses, we are not just talkers about what Christ did. We are producers of the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. How did a group of disciples who were full of doubt, could not believe, even when he rose from the dead, refused to believe the witnesses, the, the, the women and Peter, that he had risen from the dead? And how did, could they be turned around that they could produce the proof to the whole world and show that the world that this man, this obscure carpenter who had this, this kind of ragtag movement was now the savior of the world? How would he face Rome, Rome and in the next 200 years that whole little ragtag movement turned things around in such a way that the whole known world, so to speak, whatever that known world is, whatever perspective we're talking about, was converted, at least nominally. How does that actually happen that, in, in, that uh, people who are running away and, and, and afraid to own Jesus were now being hung upside down and crucified upside down and not backing down at all? How is it, you know, Sydney and I were in Lyon uh, a few years ago, I think 2018, and Lyon was, is one of those places in which the gospel came quite early uh, to the so-called barbarians, yeah, the French. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, no, I don't like it. No. And this is where the greatest persecution had taken place. The greatest persecution in which bishop after bishop died for their faith. And you could see, and, you, and, and, and we, we, we toured that city, and we could see the, 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 the Leonese, Leonese um, catacombs. It was frightening to just see the kind of persecution, the savage persecution that took place, and they died for their faith. There's even a story of how um, um, a group of Romans watched that as they were being crucified. And they immediately took their place, immediately. So glorious was their death. How, did this, how does that actually happen? It says, you are witnesses of these things. They are the producers of the proof. Now, I don't know about you, but Christianity in the West is actually quite boring unless you can produce the proof that Jesus is the living God. And if you've been in church for a while and you haven't known what it means to produce the proof that Jesus is right, then you need to be clothed with power from on high. Because all of that funnels down to this one point. At the end of Jesus' ministry, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament converges on one point. And it's in verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. You know the reason why missionaries from the West are not really that welcome in the East is because in the East, they have known the power of God. And when they see Western missionaries coming, not including Richard, of course, because Richard has, has credibility there. When they see them, they feel they have to minister to the missionaries. There was a time in which I brought people from BCF there, and all of them needed to be ministered to by my church because they had no idea how to move in the power of God. It's, I don't mean this as a shame. I'm just saying that, that that is how great what Jesus is saying is that it all funnels down to the fact that you shall receive power from on high and you shall be my producers of the proof, witnesses. In all Judea and Samaria and on the uttermost parts of the earth. So I, and it all comes at this point where we feel that we are completely hopeless and death has taken place. I want to talk about one aspect of this being clothed, and we can look at it in Colossians chapter 3. And we will stay in Colossians chapter 3 for the rest of this time, okay? Colossians chapter 3. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Okay, the, the predicate of this, okay, the predicate of this is verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ. What Paul is saying is this, when Christ died and he was crucified, he died, he was buried, you died with him. Amen? You died with him. You died because the judgment of, the world, of God was upon the world. The world was subject to futility and it died with him. It has no hope. The world will end in death. Do you know that? God has passed judgment upon the world. God loves the world, but he passed judgment on the world because the world has turned away from God. And not only that, the world cannot save us. And so what has happened is that we as part of the world died with him. There is no hope. There is no hope for us, all of us. We're all going to die. And not only are we going to die, it may not be very pretty. We get older, and as we get older, all the things that we, we used to have that made us attractive are all gone. Okay, it doesn't end that well. And judgment has come upon the world. We are not people who worship the world. We worship God. But God has pronounced death. But what that also means is that the power of sin and the devil has been also judged and condemned. It has no power over you anymore. If you are raised with Christ, that means you're on a whole different plane. You may not feel it. You may feel still crappy. But if you have been raised with Christ, there's something going on with you that you may not even feel, but which is true. And what he says is this. (laughs) I love this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. 
And so what, what Paul is basically saying in Colossians is this. Since you are raised with Christ, and because of that, you are raised to a, 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 a dimension in which you can produce the proof that Jesus is alive, that you have Christ's life in you. Yeah? You're not bound by, you're not bound by, by the, the devil anymore. You're not bound by the God of this world who has been judged. He has been judged, and it had to be judged, or else you can't escape it. True? If the world was not judged, if the, the devil was not judged, you cannot escape the devil. You may want the world to live forever, but you will not be able to escape the world if it does. If you live forever, you will not be able to escape the curse of it. You have, you're, 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 you're doomed to live in it eternally. But God has judged the world. And because of that, He has judged the God of this world, the devil. Because of that, you are not bound by it anymore. You're not bound by addiction. You're not bound by sin. You're not bound by devils. You're not bound by demon possession. You're not bound by, by, by the past. You're not bound by any curse. You've been set free because the world has been judged. This is what, what the New Testament talks about. Amen. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. This is what the world says. Uh, sorry, that's what Peter says when he talks about the fact that during the, it's just like the time of Noah when the world was condemned by flood to save, to save us. So when, when the world is judged, the devil is judged. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. The ruler of this world has been judged. It has no power over you. Therefore, since you've been risen with Christ, what he's saying, you have died and now you have a new life and there's power that's operating through you, whether you know it or not. If that's the case, then you can actually put on power. You can put on the clothing of God's power. You can put it on. It's not a put on. It's real. It's more authentic than you. In fact, the clothing that you put on is more authentic than the person putting on the clothing. It's almost as if we have to put on the clothing so that we can be authentic. So we can be, we can be, we can be real. We can be the truth. And he says, since you are, have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are under the earth. Which means, we do not look at spiritual things as a means to getting earthly things. We don't set our mind upon things of heaven so that we will feel good about ourselves. You set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated with Him, not on things of the earth. Now, what has happened is that the church, especially the church in the West, has turned it around and has made use of heaven as an instrument for getting the things that we really want on earth, whether it's prosperity and you don't have to flog dead houses on that one, or whatever kind of egotistical, sort of self-motivated, self-actualizing stuff. And so that Christianity has become just a way, a means of self-actualization. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the judgment of God is such that the only way in which you have life is you've been raised with Christ. Therefore, you seek the things above, not th seek the things of the above so as a means of getting the things on earth. There's the death there. Praise God. 
And I found that this is why many Christians, they can keep on trying to apply the Bible and keep on applying, but they still remain on that earthly pedestrian kind of level because the power of God's not there. Because they're taking the things of heaven and contracting them into things that will give, give them a platform, give them a, a good, good sense of self, or give them the things that they want on earth. No, the, the kingdom of heaven can only come when you just die to that. Die to it. You get what I mean? Becoming a Christian is not finding the best means, best instrument for being successful. Christianity has to do with dying to the world and having the glory and the life of God in us to such, a, such an extent that we don't live a better life, we live a completely different life with a different route. Okay, let's, let's have a look at this. It says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It doesn't say, for you must die. It says, you already died. Like it or not, your life is hopeless, meaningless. No matter how well you do, no matter how many theorems you are, you are actually able to prove, it's actually useless, and actually it's futile. You have died. You are living now. You're eating, you're doing all the nice, cool things, but actually that's all death. Sorry. You died. But because you died, not only is there no hope in this life, but there's no power that the devil has upon you. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. What does that mean? Watchman Nee has a great illustration. He said he was talking to his friend, and he was thinking about that. What does it mean that I died and my life is hidden with Christ in God? He said to his friend, they were having tea, right? Not Chinese tea, but Western tea. So you can imagine Watchman Nee and his friend, and he takes this cube of sugar, and he throws it into the tea. And then he asks his friend, where's the sugar? The sugar has dissolved. He stirs the sugar up and he says, it's hidden. It's hidden in the tea. Now, what's important is that they are drinking not sugar, they are drinking tea. Does that make sense? When it's hidden in the tea, it tastes, the tea tastes sweet. But you can't distinguish the sugar from the tea. But it is still tea. They're not drinking sugar water. They're drinking tea. Because the sugar has been hid in the tea. Does that make sense? When we are hidden with Christ in God, what happens is this. We actually disappear, but we don't fully disappear. We are, we are, we are in a mystery, caught up in the tea, and part of the tea. You cannot think about sugar anymore. You can just think about tea. Hello? Correct? So when I'm dead into Christ, I don't think of myself as this kind of indissolvable sugar that's floating on top of the tea. You know, sometimes some of us refuse to dissolve, right? 
We just refuse to do it. I'm, 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 this is me. I'm original. And I'm, I'm not going to let go of my own you know, originality, my own personhood. And so you're this indissolvable sugar. You just float on top of the tea. And you're near the tea, you're wet by the tea, but you're not tea. You're just sugar. You just float around. You're just floating in God. And you never experience what it is to be one with Christ. But the sugar is one with the tea. Amen? And what that means is this. We actually don't think about... It is on. Yes, and I'm on. What was I saying? Yes. I don't think, is this me or is this God? I don't think so. It's a mystery. Does that make sense? So that's why sometimes Christians say, oh, this was God. No, this was me. This is me and this is God. No, it's all one. It has to be a mystery because I'm hid with Christ in God. Does that make sense? I think that's a, a, a good illustration of the mystery of the life in which we are hidden in God, so much so that when God appears, we will appear with Him in glory. It's tea. It's a great cup of tea. Yes, made, made sweet by the sugar, but you can't find the sugar. Ah, oh, isn't that great? That is a Christian life. So that when we are used by God, we don't say, look at me. The donkey doesn't say, I'm the one who carried the Messiah into Jerusalem. We are one with him. Amen? Okay, let's have a look at this. When Christ, verse 4, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That does not actually refer to the parousia or when Christ comes back. It's actually referring to when Christ shows forth his glory. We will appear with him in glory. And nobody will say, wow, that was a great cube of sugar. Nobody will care, care about what you look like and how well you did it. They will just see God's glory. Amen? That's, if you're a Christian, you will want that. If you're not a Christian, you will think, no, 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 hang on. I have my own originality. I have my own personhood. You know, I don't want to be lost. I should not be lost. Amen? But if you're a Christian, you'll say, no, I want to be one with Christ. You will, you will hanker to sort of pop up from the surface of the tea. I'm still here. Okay? Okay, let's keep going. And so, when you, when, when, for you have died and your, your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, is, who is our life, verse 4, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and consciousness, which is idolatry. So what we said is this, because of the fact that Christ is risen us up and the world has been condemned, it has been disarmed, it has no power over you. Therefore, it says, you have victory and freedom over sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness. These are all sins of what we call concupiscence. These are things that have passion in us. They are in, they're located in the inner, 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 inner realms of our own personhood. They have to do with our heart, the inner life. Yeah? And it's that deep, that deep that Christ set us free. But he says, put to death 
Don't even tangle with it. Put it to death. Your attitude to it, it has to be that you want nothing to do with it forever. Not, I'm not going to look at you now, but I'll wait for an opportune time when I need to. It says you put it to death for sure, for once. Yeah? On account of the wrath of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. Now you're not living in them anymore. You're living in the tea, right? But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, or as you say in America, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I'm always tickled when I see Christians trying to be cool and using obscenities as if that's the cool thing. I don't quite understand that. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off all the old self, sorry, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. See, when Jesus said, you're going to be clothed with power, wait until you're clothed with power. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Jew or Greek or Greek or Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Yesterday I was with uh, Cindy in uh, Earth Cafe. She ordered a honey vanilla latte. And I ordered a, a latte. But they exchanged it. So it ended up her latte having sugar or honey as well as splendor. And mine had, I don't know what it had. I couldn't look into her latte and say, let's separate out the honey from the sugar. Right? Two different categories of things. There were two different things. But in the, in the latte, they were mixed. Yeah? Now, the radical na nature of God has to do with the fact that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There are personal distinctions that we have that are deeply held, warmly held in the heart. In God, there is no distinction. And I found that there are Christians who want to actually make these distinctions absolute. They're not absolute. They are relative. And you have to accept that. Or else what you're going to be is a Christian plus this. I'm a Christian and a West Ham, West Ham United supporter. When I get baptized, I'm going to take my West Ham scarf and I'm going to hold it above the water. Everything else is going to be immersed except for the West Ham scar. That is what some Roman soldiers did when they, when they wanted to get baptized. They, were, they, were, they had mixed, mixed, a mixed heart. And so they said, I'm willing to become a Christian, but I'm not willing to yield up my sword. And so they would be baptized, and the church was, made a mistake in baptizing them, but their sword would be held above the water. There is neither Greek nor Jew, barbarian or Scythian, circumcised or uncircumcised. You and I have things that, I, that we like to be identified with. 
I have certain personal favorite things about myself. Zephy um, was, 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 was telling me, yeah, she had just sent in her, her, her gradu- graduation exercise to the professor, and so she has these acknowledgements. And uh, I don't know why I'm, I'm saying this, but uh, I, and she said something was, was quite witty, so I said, wow, good, you're witty. If this uh, molecular biology stuff doesn't work out, you know, you can come up higher and be an English lit major or something. And then I realized, oh, there are certain things about me that I refuse to give up. <laughs> None of my children went the way of, of, of English lit. None of them. What a failure I've been. Miserable, 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 cretinous failure. But can you see that? In Christ, everything of this gets dissolved in Him. And that may be the last vestige of our own, super, uh, our, our own natural uh, rebellion to, to us. Here there is not Greek or Jew, uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Isn't that great? Christ is all and in all. I want it to be that Christ is all and in all in me, that I disappear, but not negated. I disappear, but not negated. None of the sugarness of me, this, all that, is lost. It's kept. It's hid. Put on then, here we are, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love. So how do we do that? You know, give you a secret, right? I went into full-time ministry very, very early. 21, 21, 22. Very early. So I've been in, in, in a full-time ministry for donkey's years. But when I went in full-time ministry, immediately I was shipped off to plant a church. And when I went to plant the church, everyone in that little group that was the beginning of a church was older than I, older than me. Yeah? They were in their 30s. I was like 22. And so it was very difficult because um, they were more experienced Several of them are prominent uh, business people in the town and had children and all that. And I had nothing. And I felt like I had this, what do you call imposter syndrome? You, 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 I just heard about it a few days ago. Imposters, I had an imposter syndrome. And, and because of that, I felt that I always had to sort of uh, make myself look taller, you know. Yeah, I'm quite experienced. Oh, children. Oh, yeah, yeah, children, children, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, toddlers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so much of it was trying to put it on. So I became a person who was 
trying his best to be an example to others. And then I read this part where Paul wrote to Timothy, don't despise your youth, but be an example to others. And I said, oh, it's not all wrong. And I read this, chapter 3 of Colossians is a life changer for me because it told me that I am only authentic, authentic in as far as my heart is in union with Christ, in agreement with Christ, that I have Christ in me. I put it on. And guess what? Those were some of the happiest and most fruitful days of ministry in my whole life. There came a time when this couple, who later became an, our senior, uh, the pastors of the church, took over from me. And his wife had serious marriage difficulties and they were about to divorce. And I was surprised that they came to, of all people, me, for counseling. Isn't that amazing? I didn't know what to do. I'm so glad I didn't start trying to use my mind to try to give them advice based upon a 22-year-old uh, uh, experience. I just said, let me just pray. And I'll get a word for you. And I shared with them the word that God gave to me. And God began to move through that word. And they began to come together again. And they continued till the day they both died. Married, ministry. Revival started happening to them. And they went to different towns. And there was one particular town called Triang. I think Louisa knows Triang. Triang is a Buddhist town. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's full of animism. But when they went, they started going, a very high proportion of that village actually became Christian. It was more than half the, half the, half the town that became Christian. There were, six, there were 300 people in the church that they started, just like that. And this was this couple. You know, when it says put on, what God is saying is this. It's not a put on because the authentic thing is this. Christ's love and His compassion is in you. If you live it, it will appear. If you do it by faith, true love will come out of you. Because the love is not just a feeling. Love is the, a thing of God that flows through you. If you just become a channel for it, and you act in a way that even though you don't feel like it, you just act in a loving way, in a giving way, God will actually do these things. Amen? It is only when you do it so that people will get impressed that you're doing it unto the world. With a heart towards God, we put on Christ. You will be clothed with power from on high. Wait, wait for it. As we come and enter into prayer, God will actually begin to put it into us. But we don't wait till we feel differently. Because our feelings is not our true authentic self. God is. Amen? I am who I am because of Christ rising from the dead and He has been grafted into me. Amen? The graft means that when the old uh, plant, the old fruit tree, and this is from Watchman Nee as well, is cut and the graft from a good fruitful tree is put onto it, assuming that the old tree is just hopeless, right? bad fruit, you put it and it's grafted and cut into the, 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 the tree on the top. 
what Watchman he says, and I hope he's right, is that in this example in which he saw his friend who was a farmer, he, the farmer showed him this tree, and you could see two distinct kinds of fruit. One was just sour. For those of you who, who know the, the fruit longan, longan, or lychees or something, similar thing. The one that was not grafted, the original one, tasted pretty horrible. But the fruit on the grafted tree on top was sweet. Watchman Nee asked this farmer, how does it happen? I don't know. He asked other questions. How did this happen? I don't know. Point being, I don't know. It's a mystery. We don't need to understand. It works. When Christ's resurrection life has been grafted into us, there will be good fruit. You have the potential for bad fruit too. But you are dead. Or its power is dead in your life. You can live by it or you don't have to live by it. But what's true is that whether you feel like it or not, Christ's resurrected life has been grafted into your humanity. Amen? Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you, you have set us free from depending upon the old scheduling whereby everything had to be in place. You've set us free from the curse that it's too late for us. We thank you that for all of us, new and old, opportune and not opportune, now is the accepted time. We are a new creature, creation. All things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new, the Bible says. I want to invite you to just open your hands and just imagine that you are putting off the old you. You're not perturbed by the fact that it's late in life or late in, in, in moment and in opportunity. It's not, not to worry. Not to worry about. If you receive him truly, newly, and say, I'm not interested in the glory that is of attention from people, but the glory of God, where I'm lost in something far greater, far glorious. I'd rather have the light of God shining through my face like Moses. than to have lights on me. And if both happens, I'm okay, but my eyes are on Jesus. I want not prominence, but I want Christ's glory to be seen. If you say that, a new day has happened that abrogates, cancels the, the past, and the lateness that you have come on the scene. Perhaps you have lived a life in which it's been profligate or wasteful. And you're saying, God, is it too late for me to start again? Perhaps you've lived a life in which there have been some detours. 
and you come back. And suddenly now you realize that, that God has a destiny for you. And you're saying, is it too late? The Bible says, as long as it is, it is today, it's not too late. You have a today, it's not too late. And so I want to invite you to just give your life to Jesus. Release your life to him and say, Jesus, I, pull, I cast my crowns before you, my reputation, what I look like from other people's view, I just give them to you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Right now. I don't know what that means. It's a mystery. But I want to be that cube of sugar that's been stirred into the tea. So that there's no need to distinguish between you and, and me. Come Holy Spirit, change my life. Thank you, you've done this 2,000 years ago on the cross. You rose, and when you rose, it was not only you who rose, but I rose with you. Thank you for being grafted into my old, miserable plant. I thank you, Lord. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.